Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome to the 36th episode of Cult Following, brought to you by the people who bring you Cult Classics AZ every month in Tempe, Arizona, in the greater Metro Phoenix area. I'm one of your three hosts for this journey into the macabre film world of film and film culture. I'm Victor Marino, along with Adam Rakowski. Me! And Kirby Nelson. <laughs> On this edition of Cult Following, we're going to talk about movies we've been watching lately in the past couple weeks. Uh, we're going to be talking about Captain America, Civil War, and many other fine young cannibal films. And we're going to be talking about Mad Monster Arizona, which happened just this past weekend at the Weco Pa Resort and Conference Center out at Fort McDowell. Talking about some other conventions, how it stacks up, what we thought, how it's going to shake out, and what would we like to see it grow into or continue to become. Um, so let's just get this ball rolling. Uh, what have you been watching lately, Kirby? Um, you know, not a huge amount. Uh, apologies in advance. I'm recovering from a sinus infection, so I'll try to limit my talking probably on this podcast, but we'll see. No apologies, no regrets. <clears throat> As I actually can't shut the hell up. So this, anyways, this podcast, I'll make all the metal noises. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> see, I've been yeah, I've been trying, but it's just it's it's every medication has not been working. Um, really, I really can't remember a huge amount of what I watched. I I know I watched some documentaries on Netflix, um, but I can never remember which ones. Um, and I have endless abundance of stacks of unopened Blu-rays and DVDs to watch. Yes, we so, know. As, yeah, as I'm, ever, I'm on that same boat right ever, now. Everybody's on that boat generally. I find more and more, but um, I really do try um, to catch up. And one of the ones I've been really working my way through is most of my Arrow Blu-rays. And so I actually watched one I've never seen at all before, which is uh, 19, technically 1983, but released in 1987-88 is uh, Blood Rage. Which was like a, a very low budget slasher, um, exploring the duality of twins, um, and it uh, you know it's a good it's actually a really good movie Is for it a slasher. Dead ringer for dead ringers. Yes, Jinx. Yes, I was going to say uh, not quite Cronenberg here, but still still enjoyable. I mean, a fun little slasher and stuff. Some great you know. Uh, you know, gore and just kind of fun. I mean, because it's so early '80s, it's almost—it's definitely got a 42nd Street kind of feel. But um, really, really enjoyed it. I mean, it's not one I'm going to watch immediately. But of course, Arrow, who completely uh, goes all out in all the releases. There's actually three versions of the film. It's the the um, I watched the unedited, the Blood Rage version, but it was also released as Nightmare at Shadow Woods. And there's that's a more edited version, and then there's some version of the somewhere in between the two. I don't think I could watch all those in one sitting or even in one year, but um, I did watch a lot of the commentaries and um, featurettes. I mean, um, it's all of course red shirt picture stuff. It's all first rate, really enjoyable. So I mean, Arrow. Um, for those who don't know, Arrow is you know a UK company that's put out Blu-rays, DVDs. Of all varieties through the last, you know, quite a few years now, but they've um, 
really picked up, of course, with their cult and exploitation, which originally was all based in the UK, um, but now they have a US arm, so you'll be seeing a lot more. So it's um, they just do great, great films, great treatments. Um, I had also recently, and I don't remember if I said this in the last podcast, if I talked about Contamination. Yes. Okay. Yes. I did talk about Contamination. Yeah, that was another Arrow one. So I watched that one, and I've got a few more to work through, um, but we'll be um, providing an update on those. Other than that, I really have not watched a huge, huge amount. We're going to talk about Civil War. It's going to be the... the um, the, the heart of our top besides our mad monster recap um so uh we'll get to that when we get to that um the only other thing i can say is i found my new favorite as all those who know of my uh being a pretty diehard melhead uh, my new favorite band right now is uh baby metal as i'm looking at adam's baby metal pops baby metal is enjoyable but um i'm gonna have to go with castrator right now which is an all-female death metal band out of new york um, that basically is the equivalent of a porno grind, gore grind band, but instead of everything that happens bad to women, it's uh, happens to men, and it's a, uh, it's definitely a a castrating good time. I mean, just it's just classic. But they, you know, but it's less exploitation. I mean, they have serious, um, very serious topics and stuff about female empowerment, which I hundred percent back. Um, and just they're just really well done. I mean, if you like, um. You know, classic stuff like suffocation, you know, you're going to love it. It's definitely got that suffo cataclysm mix kind of thing going on. Um, maybe a few other bands in there, but uh, really, really good. So they put out a four-song release. Um, it's definitely worth checking out and probably has the best use of a Hostel 2 sample I've ever heard. So definitely worth checking out. Oh, I've been waiting for that. I know you have. Mm. All right. How about you, Victor? Uh, what have I been watching lately? Uh, let's see. I watched The Fifth Wave, which might as well be called uh, Ender's Hunger Games. Yes, exactly. I actually think I'd come up with something where it was, and you know, the um, divergent hunger of the uh, Ender's Games. You know, it's like it, it literally Ender diverges <laughs> into the Hunger Games. Yeah, I think that should be our, our contest for our next giveaway. Come up with the best description. Divergent of, runner. I think I mentioned this last time, Curry, because you said that you saw it. I did initially. Uh, that it seemed like the fifth wave should have been something that probably would have serviced better on like a sci-fi channel sort of. It totally you know? does seem. Oh yeah, like a I mean, as opposed to like a movie. theatrical release, it's not at all any kind of film that. I mean, I don't know how much it costs, but I the, mean, you could have made this for nothing. Looked terrible. They looked too. really bad. Yeah, there's like a flood scene really early in the movie, and it's like this doesn't even look like water, you know. And, and I feel of all the CGI stuff you see, water seems to be like the. the Was it like Lawnmower Man? No, it, no, just, no, it no, looked no, not more that like, bad. But. No, no, it looked like hair gel, didn't it? Like something with like slurry, more like water. Ooh, I yeah, like I mean, there's, slurry. you know, it's like, it's one of those ones where you watch the trailer. I'm like, that's all you need to watch. Like, I mean, the best visual effect is definitely the plane coming down. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, in the trailer, I remember going, oh, that, you know, looked too bad. I mean, I go see a lot of these, but that one I was like, I, I can't remember 90 nine percent of it i mean just talking about now is the first uh, time me, i can even I, think about the funniest it. thing to me is i feel like if chloe grace moretz wasn't in this movie 
we wouldn't even be talking about it. Like, oh, come on, Liv Schreiber, man. He's oh, yeah. Come back. Well, you know, Liv Schreiber. And who, He's been doing a lot since the Scream films. Yeah, a lot. A lot. Still trying to find that right romantic comedy lead. But whining at his wife Naomi Watts. Why can't I get on to these young adult films like you do? This is very true. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's definitely one that limps along. I don't Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. Um speaking of uh movies that seem like they were made straight for uh basic cable, I saw the film Vice uh also recently. Uh, not to be confused with the uh, documentary channel um, or show on HBO. Uh, basically, it's a bad ripoff of uh, Westworld, where uh, Bruce Willis is the evil head of a company that... Oh, by the way, I am so excited about Westworld. Oh, I want to see that show. And yeah. I know that it wasn't... A, didn't they kind of delay it a little bit, too? Yeah, recently? I think Just it's to kind still of clean coming it up or whatever this year. Yeah, oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Because I um, love the movie. Yeah. And I wonder how... I, I never read the book. Have you ever read the book? No. I have a big I problem with like... Kirby? No. I don't I think it actually was a book, to tell you the truth. I think Michael Crichton wrote it for the screen. You think so? I'm pretty damn sure. Yeah. I or remember it had, he, it had a novelization, but... Yeah, did it, it was like a reverse thing. Yeah. I think it was because he had done... I mean, it's really interesting before Jurassic Park. I mean, Michael Crichton's oh, like... Oh, he was doing a lot his of His film TV stuff, stuff, though, was like the 70s, really. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's he, like it's like Westworld and Looker, you know? Yeah, and then he did... I mean, it really, before Jurassic Park, he had done ER. Mm-hmm. was like his, his big TV hit, and then... Michael Crichton led a really interesting life. If you've never read up on his, like, like I mean, talk about, like, the ultimate like, prodigy and stuff. But he had some really, like, bizarre kind of beliefs and stuff. He's, he's just interesting. I had read up on him a while back. But, yeah, it was it, it's crazy how much he accomplished. Yeah. But, sorry uh, to steal. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. For the most part. It's, like, years ago I saw a uh, straight-to-VHS movie called Gangster World which was a ripoff of Westworld where basically uh, they created a part, uh, uh, you know, a virtual reality kind of uh, park. Yeah. Where there's like prohibition and people could pay money and kill robots that look like people. This is the exact same thing where Bruce Willis uh, runs a park called vice where there's a, they grow clones and uh, that have computer brains or whatnot. And, uh, People can pay money to go in and like kind of kill people to to bring crime down. Except it, then it turns out because um, they couldn't wait for the purge, right? Pre purge. Um, except Thomas Jane is a crooked cop in this thing that kind of works for him, but he's also trying to shut it down. And there's a girl in this park who's one of these clones slash robots that was uh, based on the memories of one of the programmers' uh, uh, fiance, who's also like you know, a casualty of the park. So you can kind of this guess where miserable. this is going. That sounds miserable. All I can, all you, all I can really say about this is like, I kind of thought Bruce Willis had, had escaped the Nicholas Cage, Ving Rhames cycle of direct to video action films. No, he's just, he's going and, down, downward spiral. Oh fast. yeah. He, if, if he could be any more bored in a movie, I can't, I can't, I think, think it was it. ever since I well, and this might even be a little bit late to say, but uh, ever since Cop Out, everything has been just terrible. Yeah, you, but you know, that's when he still showed up theatrical. In, this did not, yeah. right? 
Well, I mean, you know, and, well, but it's, it has to start somewhere. Yeah. Like where his downward spiral is. And, you know, even when he showed up in like G.I. Joe, the first one, Rise of Cobra, I'm like, why is he even in this? I think he's in the second one. Or was he in the second that, one? That's actually Rise of Cobra is the second one. Rise of Cobra is the second first one. No, no, re, no, he's in Retaliation. Retaliation is the second yeah. one. You are right. Rise yeah. of Cobra was the first one. There's another series no one remembers. Yeah. I mean, really, when you think well, about it. Well, that was it. like, that was really interesting, the whole retaliation thing, because they had done Super Bowl commercials for it and everything. And then they did a test screening of it out here about a month before it was going to come out over at Harkin Superstition Springs. And it scared the studio so bad that they like, del- like, reshot like half the movie and delayed the release by a year. It was like a summer release. Yeah, it was supposed, it was supposed to, to come out in like three or four weeks. Like, usually they'll, they'll still do these test screenings. Like, a month before it comes out, and this one scared the studio so bad they're like, "We're not putting this out." Yeah, well, I only ima- I was in line to see that that screening, and they they filled it up. And to this day, I wonder what that movie was like that version because it must have been horrible because that's unprecedented, you know? Yeah, there, there's it had nothing really to do with GI Joe. Yeah, that's its problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's also, I mean, the first one. I mean, I couldn't get into it all of course but the second one i actually didn't think it was bad i mean I the opposite i yeah see i didn't think it was well from what i understand I like the first one. Main, yeah. mainly what they did was they added way more of the rock in in when they reshot it and they uh i guess uh channing tatum was only originally in the movie for about a minute and a half and oh, they, that like, would have made it much better <laughs> and they went in and put like reshot like like a half an hour's worth of footage with him yeah but the thing is with the gi joe and stuff and i'm certainly no expert beyond my the original years when i was a kid and stuff but it feels like with that series it's like you know like so many other films it's like how many characters can you throw in from both sides like how and then build a story off of it because mm-hmm. it's like you have to drop all the origin stuff and just go right in. Well, that's why to the re- retaliation is better because it kind of ignores all the origin of Cobra Commander stuff. Yeah. The but, only thing that sucks about it is because of the first one, the Baroness couldn't be in the second one, and I like that character. Yeah, and they do, well, they they and they, they maybe took it a little bit too seriously. They just had to kind of ham it up a little bit. More. Yeah. I mean, they had to make it more like the. You know, the cartoon series. I think the big part with the first one is that at the very end, it's like, yeah, you're just totally... First and foremost, Dr. Mindbender being a different character in the series was a little odd. But then with Cobra Commander, I wasn't quite expecting the clan hood, but I don't appreciate the scuba gear. Sure. Yeah. I, I was like, just throw the silver mask on him then at least. I mean, yeah. do something. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah, it was, it was just they should have said They should have said it in the 80s and just gone completely... Retro. Forward retro. Well, retaliation that. totally feels like an '80s movie, anyway. But it's a piece of crap. No, it's pretty good. It's. As, <laughs> I don't think it's. It's great. It's I don't about think it's as bad. It feels like it, if it was animated, it would fit right into the cartoon series. To me. I think it's just one of those ones. I mean, like, where are you going to go? And I mean, this is. I mean, we've talked about it now a couple of times, and we can talk about more. But I just, you know, the one thing I've seen a lot on, of course, is this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sequel, and I'm like. Uh, if you watch the cartoon, this is the living cartoon. And it's like, yeah. so if you want a G.I. Joe, we might as well get Serpentor out here. I mean, like, might as well go balls deep in it. Because there's no reason. It's the same thing with, like, rebooting Masters of the Universe or the Thundercats movie or all these other ones. I mean, you might as well go full cartoon because that's what everybody's waiting for. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I know that Ninja Turtles 2 is going to be terrible, but... 
It has Krang and Bebop and Rocksteady. I can't really think of a way that I won't see it. I didn't watch the first one, but I want to see the second one. Yeah, yeah it's I mean, I mean, they even have the Turtle Man, like, yeah. but it's like the cartoon mm-hmm. Turtle Man. Yeah, yeah, everything is the cartoon. I mean, yeah. I'm literally they put stuff in the first film that was from the cartoon, but I mean, this literally is the cartoon. I mean, if Baxter Stockman comes flying out of nowhere, you yeah. know, I mean, I really wouldn't be surprised at this point in time. Well, Tyler Perry is playing Baxter Stockman in this movie. Yeah, so I'm sure that. No, no, I mean, but it mutated. Baxter yeah, no, Stockman. I know that's gonna happen. Yeah. They even have Krang's android body in this. Yeah, exactly. I you mean, know, when down I saw... to the 80s goggles. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. So it could work out. Uh, all right. Uh, I won't spoil this. I'll just give my opinion. I saw X Men Apocalypse, which comes out, I think, uh, like in two 27th. weeks. 27th. Yeah. Yeah, it comes out in two weeks. I, I saw it two weeks really ago. Early screening for that. Um, I do not care for it like okay pretty much at all okay we'll talk about it more um there's things they do right in this movie and then there's jennifer lawrence well let's so just we move go. on from there because i don't, I don't want to get anything <laughs> yeah. stuck in my head i know at all yeah. i don't want any kind of preconceptions and this, but just out of curiosity this is her last one right she broke her contract right or said that it's fulfilled yeah i can't really say anything yeah let's move on oh no no no! i didn't mean it like that but yeah. i meant that she um I know that that was one of the big ones. I, I think about a lot of the big comic book movies. Like, we're going to talk about Civil War. I've heard, like, um, you know, a lot of them as to where their contracts stand. Like, how much longer they're going to do films. Because that's a big thing to me about the, like, the MCU and the DC Universe, too. Is, is that, you know, you wonder how long they're actually going to keep doing these movies. Like, Yeah, what I would say is, from this movie, I don't get any inkling of any contract stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It was in, I was interested when I was watching Civil War to think of how long this is going to go on. I mean, besides the fact that they've tent pulled out another 10, 15 years. Well, just real, real quick, Robert Downey Jr., I think this was supposed to be his last one, but he's reconsidering coming back. It's kind of like the James Bond syndrome, yeah. you know. It's yeah. a, well, it's he's really going to be in the, in the um, Spider-Man movie. Uh, and uh, who is it? Um, uh, Chris, Chris Evans. Chris Evans, thing. Yeah, he said this is supposed to be his last appearance of Captain America, but he's having second thoughts too, you know. So I mean, I get it's it's that same old thing. It's like, well, I bet if the money's right, yeah, I bet they would, you know, yeah. continue on just because their contract ends doesn't mean, you know, it's the end. Yeah. Not oh no, 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 I didn't mean like that. Like, I just wonder if some of them if they're like, no, I'm finally going to make one for me, one for me. <laughs> Well, it wasn't wasn't like Hugh Jackman supposed to be done a while back, but they yeah. extended his. Yeah, yeah, a long time. Because I think he like is, once he Wolverine Origins kind of went down the crapper, that's when he said, "Well, he has to redeem the character." Yeah, and like basically they've made it subsequently because of Days of Future Past, like uh, that X Men Origins Wolverine never happened. Right, it's been well, they really on. had to do with Deadpool. Yeah. Oh no! Too. I yeah. mean, without spoiling it too much, this I, this new movie confirms that movie never happened. <laughs> all right. Anything else? Um, that's it. I think that's all I've seen besides Civil War. What's on your plate, Adam? The Lobster. Oh yeah, Adam went to an early screening of that the other night to review it for Cult Following. My wife Anne and did posted the review. the review. Yeah, she did Sweet. the review of it. Uh, has um, John C. Riley, who's the main guy. Um, what's his name? 
Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. There you go. Thank you very much. Uh, Rachel Weiss is in it as well. It's um, there. There's a lot of different elements to it within the dystopian set piece that reminded me of things like uh, Children of Men could kind of fit in with it. Uh, a little bit of Logan's Run in there too, to a certain degree. Uh, a lot of like Anne Rand. Uh, overtones to it it's if you like really 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 dark social commentary comedy that's it gets pretty dark so like you, you might laugh at something just because it's kind of a surprising absurdity but mm-hmm. to, for them it's it's real life um looks at human nature and uh i guess desperation and relationships uh and societal's pressure on relationships mm. it when i watched it i'm like well i don't know if i really want to see that again it was interesting to to witness what was happening um and i didn't really well i kind of connected with some of the characters but i didn't like feel like i need to see the movie again if that makes sense uh but by the time it was done uh, Anne and I couldn't stop talking about it. So, like, even I woke up, like, in the morning and, like, right, you know, I woke up before Anne, Cats woke me up, and I was, like, thinking about the movie, and I was like, oh. And then, and then like, when Anne woke up, I'm like, first thing out of my mouth, I'm like, blah, 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 about, a, mm-hmm. you know, certain things that we're trying to kind of figure out, because they don't explain everything that's going on. You're just, you're thrown into the movie. Uh-huh. Um, and you're supposed to accept all these things, and you don't necessarily know if um, if if certain things are true or if it's kind of like a Santa Claus uh, syndrome, uh, which makes sense when you actually watch the movie. I don't want to give away really anything to it, but uh, it's it's just it's very well done, um, and worth seeing for sure. Mm-hmm. It's. It's gonna. It's one of those movies that either people are gonna really like or they're gonna really hate. It's mm. one of those, kind of like that. Uh, Annalisa, Anomaly, Anomaly. I always say it wrong every single freaking time. Uh, on the other side of the universe, I saw Zoolander two. Yeah. I did not like Zoolander one, but just for goofs and giggles, I watched Zoolander two, and I actually liked it. Um, Probably because I had zero expectations, minus one billion expectations for it, and I don't know. It was just big, dumb, goofy fun, and I, I like that um, that kind of meta. Fifteen years later, uh, kind the 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 old man um, in a, you know the new school uh, environment and trying to uh, fit into that. Uh, I loved uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Even though he was only in it for what, maybe five, ten minutes, but him as a character, all yeah, <laughs> all was great. It's <laughs> so good. Um, also, the uh, the guy who invites him to the show, the hipster. Yeah, I really he, liked him he, too. He played it to a T, absolutely perfect. perfectly. Um, yeah, just coming out. Yeah, with the new kind of like uh, I, I I thought of like Blade Runner. Um, with the way that he was talking, which was kind of a mix of like this urban street internet, um, and then just other languages of the world mishmash. 
Yeah, it's like if someone was transplanted from, you know, even 15 years ago, which this this is what it was, and everything that's happened, you know, with the internet, with shorthand and texting and everything, and if, you know, some people actually do talk like that, some kids talk like that. It's very unfortunate, yes. Yeah, mm. but it's funny to watch. Uh, oh, and then going back to the kind of the, the dystopian flavor, I finally, uh, Ann and I finally saw 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, what did you think? Loved it. It's good. Loved it. I don't care for the ending. I loved the ending. Really? Even though it was kind of, you know, hit me over the head with it. Yeah. And I, pretty, I know, think you could tell when they tacked on the extra CGI stuff. I don't, it's one of those movies where I kind of feel like if it had ended right with her opening the door and you're not really oh, finding sure. out. Yeah, well, I think that would have pissed off more people. Yeah, I mean, but in a way, I, feel I mean, like I know why they did. It. Yeah, to have the CGI connection to Cloverfield, the original, because mm-hmm. originally this was supposed to be a completely different movie, and they just added things to it. Oh. Yeah, whatever was called the Magnolia, cellar or something, like, something that. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, other than that, Civil War. You want to go right into that and do our Mad Monster at the end? Sure, sure, chirp, 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 chirp. Uh, I liked it. Well, I'm not on Facebook, so I just want to hear what Victor has to yeah. think. Oh, um, boy. Like, what can I say this? Um, I think Avengers 2 Age of Ultron is probably the worst of these movies. But Captain America Winter Soldier was the best one. And I've always kind of been of the opinion, these phase movies, like the Avengers movie ends up setting up what happens to the rest of the characters for that phase, right? You know, sets the groundwork. And then the individual movies are supposed to get, like, well-written, you know, interesting takes on these characters dealing with the fallout of what happened. Because Iron Man 3 and Captain America Winter Soldier, I think, are both good movies dealing with the fallout of, uh, of you know, the Avengers movie, the first one, right? So we've got Avengers 2 Age of Ultron, which, you know, is supposed to set the pieces leading into whatever happens with Thanos in the Infinity War or whatnot. But this movie just might as well have been called, like, Avengers 2.5. We fucked up last time, so here's our second take on it. I disagree. Um, Yeah, it's just they wedge way too many characters into into Civil War. Um, Effectively. No, you can ta- you can have your own take on it once I'm done. You know. Oh, so I, I can't interject. Well, not if it's just going to twist what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, because basically, you know, at this point, I'm pretty. Well, we're doing a discussion here. You know, because for the most part, I really think that the people the who wrote uh, Civil War particularly did not watch ant-man which was a good movie and everything ant-man does in this movie completely is negated by his movie it doesn't make sense it's like we've established this character and here we're just going to ignore everything that movie did um because i didn't hate it i'm just trying to like phrase these things in a practical way there's Lots and lots and lots of plot holes in this movie that don't jive with the other standalone movies. And Tony Stark, I think, comes off as a worse villain 
than Ultron did in the Ultron movie by his actions in this movie. That movie might as well not have even have happened. And Captain America ends up coming out sort of like way too squeaky clean idealistic. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say that to get it going. Okay, so how how was the Ant-Man uh, established in the film that didn't jive with uh, Civil War? All right. In Ant-Man, the film, we get the feeling, you know, Scott Lang is this, like, you know, really brilliant engineer who's trying to, like, just get his life back together mm-hmm. so he can get, you know, visitation with, uh, you know, dog. his daughter because mm-hmm. her dad is a cop and, like, he has limited parental rights because of his conviction. So the whole thing is the arc of him trying to be on the side of right just so he can fix that relationship and still be in contact with his daughter. Everything he does in this movie, and he has no prior relationship to Captain America other than fanboying over him for a second in this movie, Mm -hmm. guarantees that everything he's trying to do in the first movie won't happen. In fact, he ends up in a gulag for God knows how long because there's weird timing and pacing issues here. Like, a, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to help Captain America fight in an airport for no reason. I'm going to end up in Guantanamo Bay for it. You know, there should be some discussion there of, like, we get stuff with, like, Tony Stark having relationship problems with Gwyneth Paltrow's character. And that's why she's not in this movie. And that's affecting his decision making. Why does an Ant-Man get that same thing? Because the relationship with his daughter is pretty much the, like as important as Tony's is to Pepper's. Okay, because it's more about kind of what Mark Millar set up is that it's more about Cap and Iron Man. Yeah, but it just seems to me that the writers uh, shortchanged that character in a very uh, poorly thought out and executed way. Now, we've said stuff like that before, but then there have been other movies that have come out afterwards oh yeah because then it's trying to fix the damage which this movie's trying Mm -hmm. to fix the damage of ultron well that's fine yeah but i'm staying i'm sticking with ant-man right Mm -hmm. now it's what if ant-man 2 not that they're trying to backpedal and fix stuff but what if this is pre-calculated i don't think it was it seems like they're just ignoring the character it's just something that stuck in my craw very much like i you know Clearly, they want us to think that Captain America and Iron Man are like, you know, the Hulk Hogan and like, uh, you know, Macho Man man of the the Marvel Universe and everybody else is kind of like a B character. So it doesn't matter if we get the B characters right. Somebody else will fix that. Well, I think it's just my whole thing is when you start and stuff, I wanted to hear what Victor had to say, especially as Adam is too. And I would consider myself probably third on that tone pole of, you know comic book fan familiarity with mm-hmm. the material because that's usually the first point of contention in talking about any of these movies yeah, i'm just i'm just no, going no, by the but movies no no here. that's what i'm saying yeah. well that's what i'm setting up here is is that usually it's this this um you know page to screens you know yeah. issue but my my argument here is is that that's inherently that i think my opinion somewhere in between so far both of what you have to both have had to say is my view is is it's starting to hit this point where it's like George R. R. Martin had to get a guy who ran his fan site. Oh to yeah, sort no, we're GO2. totally at that. Point. We're at that because we're now. hitting. We're seeing now the problems of a shared movie continuity where there's 13 movies in there. I mean, it's cool before where you like you can like kind of 
reference things and then them not really having to pick up. But when you've got 13 movies and like five TV shows all in the same universe, these things, you know, they want you to pay attention to these things. So when it's kind of off, you notice. Well, big thing for me is, is like, it's interesting to hear people talk about me. Like I said, they go between comic books, but even people who are just solely interested in the movies and they talk just about the movies. It's, it's interesting that when you get into the nitty gritty and the nitpicking or whatever we want to look at, which sometimes is a good point. I always notice one of the big ones I remember is even between the first Avengers and talking about like Ultron and some of the other ones. This is like, it's funny. Somebody brought up some, th- some argument. It's like, you know, um, it's kind of like also covered in Batman v Superman, Don Justice, but it's this attitude is that there are people who just focus in on the landscape yeah. and you go, well, what would have happened to all these buildings? Because people well, don't just rebuild now everything. Now we've hit a big, big yeah. issue here too. And this was something, because I will say about this movie, it gets you thinking and sometimes that can be really good or bad. So... The big plot of Captain America Civil War is they want superheroes to sign this thing called the Sokovia Accords, which basically makes like the Avengers like a UN sanctioned weapon of mass destruction team, like where the Security Council everybody agrees that the Avengers can intervene. Correct. It's like the weapon the, the a measure of last resort. The way they use they try to sell this to you is uh there's a fight between Crossbones, who's the guy who blew up when the Triskelion was destroyed in um, Winter Soldier. And they're in, is it in Africa? I forget what country it is where the, the, the fight at the beginning happens. Oh, what continent? Yeah. No, yeah. no, it's Africa. I think yeah. it's supposed to be like, yeah. I can't remember what, I mean, it's but, the Wakovia yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now I remember. Now I can't remember the name. No, of it, it's yeah. Wakanda. Yeah, Wakanda, yeah. that's so, it. Wakovia is a to, bank. Yeah, basically, basically, Crossbones is trying to steal something. And they, this bomb ends up getting split up, and the Avengers are chasing these guys down. And Crossbones is basically going to suicide bomb himself to kill Captain America. The whole thing is a big setup so he can suicide bomb Captain America in the middle of this big town square. Scarlet Witch contains this explosion in, like, a force bubble, which is the only thing I can think to call it, right? Yep. Yeah. Sure. And when in doing so, she lifts him up. And something happens to Scarlet Witch, and she loses concentration. And while the f- bubbles in air, Crossbones explodes anyway and takes out like a build, part of a building where there's a bunch of um, UN workers. UN workers from Wakanda. Okay, so I can you can see. Okay, I can see how that would work. The bigger problem I have with this scene is if Scarlet Witch hadn't been there to contain this force bubble. It would have blown that building up anyway and killed Captain America. So really the only reasoning here is she saved some people. Some people would have died anyway. So trying to blame the Avengers for it, it's it's kind of... Yeah, they're called collateral damage. Yeah, it would have happened That's really what would have been put in. Yeah, yeah. So then they have uh, General, uh, General Thunderbolt Ross, who's the villain from The Incredible Hulk. Which I think a lot of people didn't realize because people forget that Edward Norton movie is in the Marvel continuity. And he, yeah, and people, and then he's showing Captain America and Tony Stark and all the Iron Man footage of you know the Avengers battle in New York. He's showing them Sokovia, and then like at one point Cap tells him to stop. And the first thing I thought to mind is like, 
oh, why are you asking him to stop? The next thing it would have shown was General Thunderbolt Ross destroying Harlem to get at the Incredible Hulk, which is a big thing. They even mention it in the Avengers, like, oh, yeah, I kind of destroyed Harlem. You know, so putting Ross in charge of this uh, thing, in fact, putting him in charge of that gulag just really rang super weird to me. And a lot of people, when I mention this to don't even realize, like, oh, yeah, he's kind of in charge of that, isn't he? Shouldn't he be under a similar umbrella? Yeah, but like you said, everybody forgot. Yeah, but that's, like, not an excuse because someone should have the job Kirby was just talking <laughs> yeah. about to point out these things don't jive or make sense, you know? Well, yeah, and that's, I mean, th- th- that could go, though, at the heart. I mean, that's more of it. I meant that people are also even just talking about, like, you know, what gets destroyed in the landscape. You can't have that building there if it's gone. Like, yeah. and people just wouldn't rebuild it. You don't have trillions of dollars to rebuild everything yeah. or it wouldn't happen within the timeline. Yeah, and this is one years. of the things that's interesting in Bar- All right, so... As we all know, in the real world, Hell's Kitchen in New York is a totally gentrified, yuppie, super expensive area of New York. The Daredevil TV show, it's just like the 80s comics where it's like run down and everything. It's Lower East Side. Yeah. And the way they explain it is by saying, oh, because of the Battle of New York, uh, it collapsed, like the economy collapsed. Mm -hmm. And so it's totally dilapidated now. So obviously, the actions of all these films... Have t- have consequences that don't jive with the real world. Correct. You know, so it feels to me like they, the writers of this movie, like weren't taking that same attitude that other people were, and it's just kind of like this is the real world. Oh, by the way, except for when we say so. I don't know. Yeah, like, that, I don't. The- again, I'm not trying to come off at this crit like super critically. These are just like really big things that bothered me about it. Well, the other part too, I always like. Funny. I actually like how they did Black Panther. I thought Black Panther in this movie, they did a great job of explaining that character. I would want to see a movie with him, and they did a good job of tying into like, oh, why these people from Wakanda want to be involved in the world picture because of what Ultron did, stealing all their vibranium in the last movie. Mm-hmm. You know. But at the same time, listen to the way I'm talking about these movies. There's a lot of dense continuity issues, and they really need someone to kind of educate these writers on what's going on. Else people like me are just going to be like ripping their hair out and saying, why am I watching these movies if you're just ignoring what's happening in them? Well, my biggest thing I always found, too, is is that the whole point of this is like, I mean, you know, and this is a common theme and. Um, both classic and, I mean, it's exploring a lot of modern comics. I always think of, you know, various series and stuff that I've enjoyed over the years, like um, Invincible and then the series of, like, uh, Irredeemable, The Boys. There's a bunch of other ones, Mm -hmm. uh, Ex Machina and stuff, where it's more about, like, you know, who controls the superheroes and all that. And a big part for me was, is like, (sighs) that isn't really explored, but it's like, Really, the only person who stands to lose here is Tony Stark Mm -hmm. because, yeah, they can shut down Stark Industries. They can shut down your company. Like, that's a a preventative measure. But for the rest of the Avengers, like, what are you going to do? You can't stop us. Like, it's like, to me, it just isn't realistic. It's kind of like with Ant-Man for me. Here's the bigger, yeah. No, no, for Ant-Man for me, it's like, Part of what always bothered me in the, and I love, I did like the movie, the Ant Man film too, but it's a big part of it is that as you're watching him break into everything, you're like, uh, he could have broke out of all these prisons. I mean, yeah. I truly believe that. It's just kind of like one of those things where I just felt 
you know, it, you, you obviously would have a lot shorter movie, but I just feel like a lot of these characters, they end up, it's kind of like you're dumbing them down or powering them down because it's like, but that should be the idea is that they're yeah. like, especially the more powerful ones are living gods. It's kind of like the Watchmen kind of what thing. What did you, speaking of that, what did you guys think about Zemo, the the villain of this movie? My criticism of the film was mostly there were things that I couldn't follow as solidly as, like you said, like the Winter Soldier. Yeah. And I do agree that the Winter Soldier story-wise is a lot more solid and has a completely different tone. Yeah. I do agree that Civil War is more like an Avengers movie. Yeah. But I see where it fits in with the Captain America because that's where they where Tony and Cap come head-to-head and just, like duke it out yeah um yeah as far as the villain goes i didn't really understand his motivation or exactly what he was or who he was i didn't think he was um fleshed out enough um so that's kind of where i had my head scratched I mean, yeah it, it wasn't really ob- it seriously i didn't get till t- it was until the movie the end of the movie that I realized those weird he was on the phone all the time. That I realized all those all those voicemails he was listening to were like voicemails from his wife. Yeah. Well, I caught on to that like right away. I, I'm like, you know, when he's spoiler. just listening to it. Well, we're spoiling. This is one of those ones where we're just doing the. It doesn't matter. We're yeah, we'll, we'll put the yeah. spoiler uh, yeah. thing up. But yeah. But yeah, it, it was like, oh shit! I, so he's kind of just like was driven to do this whole thing. Yeah, and I thought that was one of the more obvious things. But yeah. otherwise, I just pretty much like rode the roller coaster and just kind of accepted all this stuff. Yeah. And I did like the Black Panther. Everything they did for the setup on that, I thought he was kick-ass. Yeah. You know, and it's like, you want to know more about his backstory. Uh, what do you think about the villain aspect of... You know, it's like, I thought, I mean, obviously, it kind of goes along with a lot of what has been discussed. I mean, obviously, is the heart of the film is, you know, what would drive someone to want to take revenge? Because they kind of explore, like, oh, who possibly could be doing this and why? Yeah. I mean, that in, the, in the very beginning of the film, a little bit more. And it's one of those things where, I mean, I always, I mean, I love, I mean, going back to the original Captain America film, I love Hugo Weaving as an actor, and the Red Skull is one of my favorite. For some reason, I like a lot of the Cold War villains mm-hmm. kind of style, like the Doctor Doom and the Red yeah. Skull have always been my favorite. It's very classical, but it oh, can yeah. be modernized and has been in a lot of various series over the years. And what I, was, you know, like the best uh, uh, Indiana Jones movie is Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I just, yeah. I, and I feel like obviously, you know, people are always going to have... Um, you know, I mean, I would consider, you know, the Third Reich, the Nazi Party is obviously for um, most of uh, people in the world is considered, you know, the the template of evil. So it's it's very interesting to have, have seen it. But I think that, you know, like a Hydra and all that. And I, you know, that's one thing I do, I did like in this film, you know, is he's hunting them down to find out where the other super soldiers are you know it's like he, he it's like oh who, who, you know who cares you know there's no loyalty to anything there's no loyalty to hydra or to anything else there's only loyalty to um revenge and i mm-hmm. said you know i think that works as well um but you know his, his whole end game thing um is interesting i mean as opposed to the the big you know you get the battle on the the tarmac that's the big battle in yeah. the, the film mm-hmm. and then there's the that's the trailer 
uh, candy. And then the intimate battle at the end, the final showdown kind of thing, um, you know, it works, but it's just one of those That's ones like where... like the, the Return of the Jedi. Yeah, totally. Yeah, total Return of the Jedi Skywalker. tribute. Yeah, I was just going to, yeah, say something along those lines. But I feel like with... Um, you know that that's you know I think that that's a big part of it, and I mean as we're all comic book fans, and we were just kind of talking about that previously with about how you cast films and who you include mm-hmm. to not have such a glut of things is, is that I think a lot of people go God I want all these heroes, but there's a lot of people go God I want all these villains or I want yeah. this because th- you want to make the perfect chessboard setup. Yeah, and the thing is is that yeah it can get real cluttered real fast, and only one can you know you can only have one queen, so it's like. You know, pick it wisely, you know, and it's... I, I think where they kind of... For me, why, where they lost it with the villain is that he wasn't conniving enough or subtle enough or over-the-top enough. No, they it was were just kind, kind of, of like going really for middle like, of the road. Yeah, it's really weird because I kept thinking after the fact that it's like, oh, so this is what it would be like if they did like a, a super villain version of Edward Snowden. Because yeah, if you kinda, think about yeah. it, that's all he pretty much is. Like, True. He like gets all the stuff that Black Widow dumped onto the internet in the last movie, figures out there's a way to fuck up the Avengers, and just goes about trying to make that happen. And right. that's it. Like he doesn't he's not I I don't think he's has I can't one remember. real physical battle in this at all. And then like his big revenge is knowing he fucked everything up and was just about to kill himself. Now how much hey. more delightful if they had uh Jesse Eisenberg doing his Lex Luthor in this movie as well. Like, if, if I'm not saying, no, like, no, no. comparing it to Batman yeah, v Superman, yeah, but giving it that, that kind of... This guy was, like, too, like... Like, just something that's a little bit off about him yeah, as opposed to just, just being... Like, well, I figured out what I'm going to do. It's over, you yeah. know? What, what, I always forget the name, but I'm like, the com, the Hydra computer was a better villain and gave a way better speech than uh, yeah. than the, uh, the guy did. I was like, come on, man. But, you know, it kind of, like... You know, it's really weird, too, that the other one I kind of considered him, uh, this is a parallel I drew in real life, is he kind of actually reminded me a little bit of uh, Timothy McVeigh style. If you ever read your No, music, no, Timothy I know what McVeigh. you're saying, but it's still, mm-hmm. it falls in the same thing, like, an yeah. ev- like a like a bent Edward Snowden, like that. No, kind. no, totally true, yeah. Because he was in the, the military, way. and then yeah. he became disillusioned and yeah, just wanted it, to take it down. Yeah. yeah, there's just something with that, personally, that I... I read interviews with McVeigh over the years that he kind of remind me a little bit of it, but you know, in all the set pieces and all the stuff, I mean, you know, but like the the one thing that I always found too funny was is that the big battle through the um like the the tunnel, yeah. um, and then the battle on the tarmac thing. I'm sitting here going, okay, everyone can catch up on the tunnel super fast, whereas every airport in the world is swarming with security, yeah, and yet this just you know. All right, guys, I guess it's time. We're going to let him fight out for like 10, 15 minutes, and then we're going to ring the bell, and then that's it. You yeah. know, it's like, come I, on, I man. found myself thinking that some of the choices they made in this movie, because, you know, when we leave Vision off at the end of Ultron, he's almost like this weird godlike figure. Mm-hmm. And this one, they kind of went with like this, like, uh, I don't know, Edward Scissorhands meets Ned Flanders kind of guy like very creepy data that's all i can think of is just like this is an interesting way they chose to define vision as a character well then it's kind of like you're like okay he's gonna go against scarlet witch and it's like okay the reason she can he can she can just totally overpower him is because of you know love or like some kind of 
you know, I don't know. It just is affinity for, and I'm like, yeah, but he really what? That's the exact same thing I thought. I was like, isn't this guy a god? Like, I mean, he's just can kill anything and everyone. He's just like omnipotent, basically. Mm-hmm. I also think it's weird. I mean, this is one of those nitpicks more than anything that the like Tony. None of them call him Jarvis. They just call him Vision. It's like, well, that was really cool how Ultron called you Vision. So we're just going to stick with that. Is that all right, Jarvis? <laughs> I don't know. It's just one of those just weird, funny things. I get why they have to do it, but it is kind of weird. Well, I mean, he's not Jarvis. Anymore. I know. Yeah. The one thing I will say, though, and I mean, to kind of wrap that this part up, I mean, unless you guys got some additional um, you know, I input, have one, is, is that one I do, big I, thing that yeah. I'm interested in what you guys okay, thought. Okay, well, let's go with that here before. All right. Um, so. They have the raft, the thing I've been calling, you know, Gitmo, basically, which is like Thunderbolt Ross and the U.S. government built um, a Guantanamo Bay for superheroes, ostensibly, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. They'll be out in Sylvester right. Stallone. And, uh, I think it's weird that nobody except Tony actually knows about this, which means he must have had to play some part in its construction, mm-hmm. which seems really, really sociopathic and weird in my mm-hmm. point of view. But at, at the end of the movie, after he'd already been there and said how he didn't think this is what it would be like, ostensibly, t- ostensibly tells uh, Black Widow, well, you better get out of here because they're going to take you there. And then, you know, what happens to Rhodey, he gets four of his... Uh, vertebrae. vertebrae, what does he say? Crushed. It's it's something bad. This isn't like Dark Knight where they have to pop it into place. Right. By the time we catch up with him, he's walking again and has exoskeleton skeleton stuff on his legs yeah. to help him relearn. He's how like Elysium at that point. Yeah. And at that point, we find he gets a letter from Captain America saying, "Oh, by the way, I've broken everybody out." There have to have been months that passed. In this time frame. At first I was thinking, well, Tony Stark is kind of a dick for not doing anything. But at the same time, Captain America still, neither of them have really done anything while almost their entire team has been in Guantanamo Bay for, at at the very least, several months. Sure. It's, I hope there's a payoff down the line where super villains and stuff that they use in further movies were developed while the avengers were ostensibly completely gone because at that point the avengers is just what stark and vision everyone else is in jail right yeah yeah so that's one of those things that like if you stop and think about it for a minute it really is really fucked up mm-hmm. you know so that's just one of the takeaways i took from this and like okay literally there was a point in Marvel Cinematic Universe continuity, where at least for months, probably a year, is what I'm thinking, the only three superheroes were Stark, Vision, and Spider-Man. Really weird. I don't know. <laughs> if you thought about that or what you think about that. Oh, I didn't think about it at all. Yeah. I, 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 did, think of, I, mean, I did think about the passage of time thing because I think it's natural mm-hmm. to go, how long was this between you know some of these scenes? Because it's funny also in this one... I found it interesting the huge gigantic block letters on everything mm-hmm. with present day, you yeah. know, and all that. And it's like, oh yeah, you don't. It doesn't say like 
sometime later or anything like that. Yeah. But yeah, you have to believe that. But that also, to me, it's funny. I did think about that. The one thing I did truly was about the raft. I'm like, yeah, Stark probably built this, which yeah. I've always loved since the beginning of the original Iron Man. Is it's basically um, Stark well, yeah, going, I'm not going to do this anymore. Yeah. And now he's like, but it's like, you know he's still like the biggest military contractor, yeah. so why well, you even know pretend? too? Here, it's, there's a lot of these weird plot holes in the Marvel Universe. You stuff to think about it. Like, you know, Stark built all those uh, Hydra taking over uh, helicarriers. Mm -hmm. And also, in the first Avengers movie, he got all the info from S.H.I.E.L.D. from his little thing that he stuck on there. So he had to have known Hydra had, like, infiltrated the government. Did he just not care, not really pay attention to that shit? Well, he had PTSD. That's this excuse they gave afterwards in Iron Man 3. But it's just one of those things where, like, Jarvis, dude, are you keeping watch or something here? I don't know. It's just, like, it, it, this is just one of the things. They need a guy to keep track of this stuff. Like, here's something you might want to address. I don't know. Just saying. Yeah, they're just, they. I don't think they want to slow down and, like, address certain stuff. Mm. Uh, I have the feeling that, well, I was getting the feeling for a while leading up to this film that I was getting a little bit sick of Tony Stark's BS yeah, and his PTSD. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it was really addressed. It wasn't addressed well, no, very well at all. They did that one part where he built well, that VR thing to address his PTSD. No, I know that. But what I'm what I'm saying is that in... I, his hollow deck with his subpar data he can go on with. <laughs> Come on, Vision. Well, Let's I go like, fencing. I, like, I did like that he called it barf. That was funny. Yeah. I liked what they did in Civil War. What I didn't like is everything that led up to this in previous films. Uh huh. So even like in Avengers 2, Age of Ultron. And we had a lot of setup for this I movie. I did not like how much he... They, I don't think it was effectively done with his PTSD. I don't think in even like Iron Man 3, there was stuff that I just didn't like what they did with tony stark and i kept saying to myself come on and get to the point where he actually really snaps yeah and civil war didn't like he didn't really really snap but at least he got to duke it out with uh you know mr boy scout captain america yeah you know so these two polar opposites of of two people so there's the last one though that i'll add here because this was actually probably one of the biggest things we haven't even talked about the winter soldier and captain america we haven't but, I mean, it, we could go on forever. <laughs> I know. But here's the big one, the big addition. Spider-Man. Awesome. What would you think? Awesome. And, you know, I'm not a fan of Spider-Man, the character, as he's realized. I'm just saying movies. more no, the no, actor no, no, no. and I'm his leading, presentation. I'm leading up to oh, it. Okay. I'm leading up Let's to hear it. it. Um, like, I don't like any, uh, you know, I, the, spy, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I always thought Tobey Maguire came off creepy. I didn't really like the storylines. Especially lines. in that third movie. I didn't like the storylines with Andrew Garfield. I liked that this kid was light, you know? Like, okay, this is more like the cartoon Spider-Man I remember as a little kid. Mm -hmm. And I liked that his suit wasn't, like, super high-tech. But I liked that uh, Tony Stark, you know, kind of, uh, you know, took a shining to him because he his webbing invention is really something that he was like, oh, that's really something, you mm -hmm. know? More that versus his powers. Um, well, because they were kind of uh, pushing more of like the ultimate Spider-Man, yeah. where he gets Stark to like make the suit for him and help him out. Yeah, and I'm ways. not too familiar with that, but I did. I did like it. I I don't know if 
Aunt May is supposed to be that young. In. Yeah, I was just going to say the hot Aunt May thing was a little odd for me. I don't think it needs to be full on Jessica Tandy, but even Sally Field, at least, I was like, eh, somewhere in there, at least. Yeah, I, but I liked her. I liked him. Um, you know, I'd be more likely to watch Spidey Homecoming or the whatever the next Spider-Man movie is. Yep. Because I didn't even watch Spider-Man 2, the one with Jamie Foxx. Electric Boogaloo? Yeah. And Liter- I've never Electro seen Boogaloo. the first Electro one either. Boogaloo. So that that tells you my level of engagement with that character that like I haven't watched the last two movies and have no desire to. So this one, at least, I could see him in further movies. I love Spider-Man. Yeah. I have him tattooed on my chest. Really? Oh, yeah. Mm. Got a big old Spider-Man right here. Hmm. It's gorgeous. So what I really liked about Spider-Man is the same things that you were saying. Is it it was more like the cartoon yeah. series. I love the kid that played him. I loved I really thought I wouldn't like the the banter, but they did it right because he was he was younger, he was naive, and he he almost came off as someone like a like a kid at the playground. Kind of just kinda going, Oh yeah, you know, I have the advantage over you guys and I'm just kinda like, Yeah, I like your hair. You know, kind of the kid that got picked on on the school or gets picked on at school is kind of taking that out on other people who are like bigger than him and knows yeah. that he can overpower. So it's kind of like cathartic. In Everyone way. is a Flash Thompson. Yeah, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's projecting. Yeah. I think in a certain degree, but yeah, it does. It did. It was brief. There was some stuff that I just. I, I like the trailer when he's like, hey, Underoos. But when I saw it in the film, and uh, it didn't seem like that part fit. No, it, it worked better in the trailer. It worked better in the trailer. But everything beyond that, I thought, was, was great. Yeah. I thought that was good. I thought the interplay, you know, the two best interplays I thought were between him, uh, Spider-Man, Stark, and then the, uh, I actually thought the... Uh, Falcon Winter Soldier bits were actually pretty good. Yeah, the mm-hmm. couple ones. I mean, they they definitely didn't overdo it in the one or two times. It was absolutely perfect. Yeah, that um, I enjoyed. But well, yeah, and I will say that they do have gone. They have gone the point right that like I one hundred percent believe if it's between Tony Stark and Winter Soldier, Cap is going to pick Winter Soldier ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah. Their relationship has always been combative at best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it did seem true to the set continuity before. Well, and, the, and then that leads into, without going into it, but there's the idea, of course, as, you know, he, Bucky didn't do any of this. This yeah. was all programming by Hydra. So it's like, it really does speak to, the, and there even is well, like yeah, the Manchurian you, yeah. candidate joke made in there, but it really is Well, that. yeah, and then there's a scene in the raft where like Stark is like, I have proof he's innocent, and then Ross is like, do you think I'd believe you? You're one yeah. of them. You know, you're lucky you're not in here. Yeah, exactly. You know. So, that ended up working, but, yep. Yeah. So, so, I mean, like I said, it's not so much that I'm critical of it, it's just like, no, you have your yeah. I have mi- issues with yeah it. issues with it, but I don't think it was like terrible. It's, okay, so we can we can all say that it's better than Age of Ultron. Everything, is, uh, yeah. but doesn't live up to what Winter, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, was I think, up. is the best one out of all of them. I think that that is a fair scale, especially yeah. in the. And I think universe. yeah, my I still think probably the top three are probably Winter Soldier, Guardians, and probably. 
Dark World. No, it's hard to think what the third best one is. That, but see, that's where you should leave it because that's yeah. the way I really feel it is. I don't think they found like the triple crown yet. Yeah, because I really, as I've watched, sat back and watched them, I truly think that Guardians and Winter Soldier are the best. The ones that stuck with me the longest, that had the best story, best development, best casting characters. And then I feel like... No, I th- Iron Man is probably the third best one. Okay. Well, yeah. That's an interesting one. Yeah. But I do think that a lot of them, too, it took time. Because I didn't like the first Captain America, but yeah. I liked Winter Soldier. And then with, you know, I was like, okay, Civil War here. But I truly feel uh, that, I mean, that's one thing with Marvel that I'm like, please stop at three. Do not keep going on these, the individual stories. Like, yeah. stop there, because then you're just going to get overloaded. So... Speaking of getting close to stopping, want to go through our Mad Monster yeah. recap memories? Oh, impressions. yeah. We can, we can get through that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, why don't you start, Kirby? Well, uh, let's see here. So, this is our third Mad Monster in Phoenix. Third Mad Monster, third location. Third location. Do you guys think this is the best location for it yet? Well, it was different in a way that... They didn't have as many rooms, but they had more photo ops this time. Yeah. Hard to say. The The exhibit hall was refreshingly easier to move around in, so the pathways were a little bit more open. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, I wasn't impressed with the exhibition hall. I was more impressed, impressed with the panel room other than the sound. And I, I thought, like that yeah, they I thought the for those who didn't was, go um yeah. this time they completely had all the guests were on the the wall lining the wall completely yeah. the full right square of the room so and then all the vendors were in the middle and then you walked outside into the next room two rooms was to go to the panel or to the photo ops yeah yeah and I thought they I thought they streamlined the photo ops really well yeah other than there was one bump in the road and took too long to get the person into the room for the photo op for absolutely no reason whatsoever when you finally saw them in their uh, makeup. Mm. There's no reason for it to take an extra hour over into the photo op that we were waiting for after this person. Oh. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me as an exhibitor, I thought it it was the easiest load in, load out of any of these three. Oh. And... I thought our booth was probably, we had probably the best booth placement of any of these cons. The last one, our our booth was right when the door opened. This one, we were more towards the middle, so but it was like at a good intersection right. where like we had traffic going up and down and left and right by yep. our booth. So really, I w- we had people coming by all day long, which was good for us. Yeah, because there were, there were times when... Like even toward the end on Sunday, Ann and I were we got all our autographs, all our our uh, photo ops were done, so we were just kind of bumming around. There was a complete section that we didn't walk down the aisle to. I'm like, I don't even remember this booth. Did we even walk down this aisle? Mm-hmm. But like where yours was, and like Steam Crow and and that kind of central area, you know, had a good flow to it. Yeah, and then there were all kind of like little pockets here and there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In the end, I never even w- made my way through the entire e- exhibitor hall. 
that row right next to ours where uh, shirts and things was. Yeah. I never went down that row. That once. was the aisle that we missed until the very last day. Yeah. For some reason, we didn't go down that aisle. I th- Well, we were saying I thought shirts and things built their booth wrong because I feel like it closed off that entire, like, oh, there's nothing down this way. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it was so tall. Yeah, and there was so much stuff, and it took up that tiny little cube area. Yeah, that it was hard to maneuver around or even mm-hmm. notice. Yeah, like you said, anything was there. Yeah, after doing a lot of convention setups with Victor and teardowns over the years, I can say I've definitely learned how to um, build correctly. Yeah, because there's a lot of people I've seen. I'm like. I have no idea who you are, what you are, like what your well, business is. Well, because I think everyone tries to build a little cubicle, mm-hmm. like wall, wall, wall. But with like, and I don't want to critique the shirts and things people too much because they said they haven't really done a lot of conventions. But basically, the way our it was, you have flow going left to right and up and down where they were at. Yeah, you couldn't see around them. Yeah, they cut off their flow from one whole side. Yeah, because they built a little like grid wall right there. Versus us, we did like an open corner where we had like the inner the inner corner. We had prints, prints, and then like on two sides you were open. Yeah. So we could have people looking from both sides. Yeah. And they built themselves so people could had to go in their booth mm-hmm. and they could only do it from one side. Right. Yeah. And it was easy to get just in and out. Yeah. Of your yeah. booth as well. If you wanted to stretch, think- you didn't have to like climb over the table practically. Or- yeah. Well, I think a big part of it, too, is is that, I mean, it's really weird. So, for the first year, was at um, Sheraton downtown. Yeah. And downtown, of course... I think that's probably their most central location. ...location that they've ever done. And I do think that they had a lot of success. I mean, they've always done it well. They've had Groupons. They've had discounts. We've offered... You know, they've always had a good lineup every single year. I just feel like, you know, they, they, it, the one part that is hard to Arizona, as people have noticed, obviously, with different conventions of all kinds, is, is that it's real hard. That, you know, nothing is completely central, not even in, like, central Phoenix or, you know, it's... And one thing, I, as I understood from the organizers of Mad Monster, is that, um, you know, a lot of it is really contingent on what guests are looking for. You know, it's yeah. part of how you secure them. And, you know, having, you know, out in... Fountain Hills, Fort McDowell area and stuff. They have, you know, golf. They have a lot of recreational activities. You know, it's a very relaxing desert kind of oasis. I mean, it's way out there, which I know was probably a deterrent for a few people, but it ended up being really packed. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, without a doubt. And my whole thing has been that for me as, as you know, really devoted horror fan stuff, is that, I mean, for years I went to Weekend of Horrors in um, that Fangoria and Creation put on in L.A., and then I love Monster Palooza. It's absolutely amazing. It's probably still my favorite. Yeah. But And there's Days of the Dead. There's been a bunch of other ones. And then we had Rapture here, which the first one in Arizona was the worst convention I probably have ever been to. Garbage. But the yeah. second one was actually pretty good. But with Mad Monster coming in, I, they couldn't sustain it. Rapture couldn't aim more for whatever reasons it well, was. Well, the organizer of Rapture just didn't know what the fuck he, he was, was doing. doing. But the first, this the, the second one was, he, it was a lot better. I mean, and it really did try. Had a lot of great guests and stuff. But I feel like, obviously, the organization of Mad Monster and stuff, and as an entity, and this isn't, uh, you know, um, you know, some ball washing kind of comment. I mean, I just really think they know what they're doing in that respect. They got, they had the biggest group though I've ever seen. I mean, the the, the marquee list of names on this. I mean, from all over the world, you know, bringing people out, to, you know, the middle of. 
Arizona desert. I, I have a lot of respect for it, but where I was going with that comment is, is that I'm tired of traveling. I'm tired of spending all the money just to get somewhere, to stay somewhere. Even if I stay with friends, it all still adds up. Yeah. When it's in my backyard and always it's supporting my community, it's the same thing with going to see shows. I, lo- I go to LA to see bands play. I go to see movies out there or film fest. But I'm really into the homegrown thing more and more. I want to see more cons, more film festivals, more activities out here. Partially, yeah, because it's lazy and more cost effective. But it's also because it's like we're the fifth largest metropolitan city in America. We should have more going on here. And that's part of why I do call classics and a lot of other things that we do as a group and activity. It truly is because I want to keep this... uh, um, you know, a community. I kind of mentioned that in the last podcast, one of my usual soapbox <laughs> diatribe. Yeah. But I mean that, like, sincerely, I do think, and and I'm really happy because I know we were in the running. There were other cities, at least one in particular, that may have had this convention instead of us, and it's awesome to see people from Arizona really supporting it, and yeah, it just was, it was awesome. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and, while, and like I said, I, this year especially, with the photo ops, that's where most of our money went. They uh, did some really good ones this year. The only thing that I was disappointed with is because, uh, what did we do last year? Was it Elvira? No, last year was Lopan. Lopan, the year before that was Elvira. Yeah. When we've done the photo ops, and maybe it is just one or two people doing a photo op, or just even just one person doing you know the full costume photo op. Um, not from the, you know, sitting at the, at the booths or anything like that, but, you know, in the photo op room, uh, that you pay a premium for and have like a background and stuff for people who don't know what that is. Uh, for the last couple of years, the, the performers would offer to sign your photo op for free. You know, if you got the photo op, they would include the autograph if you came to the table. Um, they weren't necessarily doing that this year. The only person that did it for us um, was uh, Ben, the guy that played Pita in uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah. Um, but the you know the rest of me is, is you know is the same same price, um, and they were also offering um, photos at you know behind the tables too. You know you could pay. I don't know, like $20 or $25, and you get a photo next to them, or someone would just even include it with the autograph. Mm-hmm. Whereas in previous years, like I remember with uh, when Elvira was there, it was strictly no. You can't because we're offering the the photo ops. You know, that's part of the, the incentive to yeah. do the photo ops. We're not doing them behind the table. Um, you know, John Berriman was the same way at uh, uh, Phoenix Comic Con. Yeah, I'm sure there were like other artists as you know, it's like, well, if you want a photo, you have to buy the photo op package. Yeah. As opposed to being allowed to do it like behind the table or whatever mm-hmm. at the autograph session. Feelings about that? Well, I think that that's a big part of the um, changing kind of climate, obviously. And I mean, this, and I want to separate this comment or, or, point from Mad Monster because this oh, yeah, is right, all right. conventions. Right. Period is, is that. Everybody I'm just knows. In general, no, yeah. no, no. Exactly. I yeah. think it's a great point because this this opens up without going too deep into it. But this is an important thing. I spent less this year than I have. I have less money to spend. But I do believe that obviously, and anyone can say this. That I mean the rising costs of autographs, mm-hmm. of photo ops, of everything has just reached a point where I'm like, you know, I I expect a person. You know, it used to be I would say the highest you would pay would be twenty five, thirty dollars an autograph for a celebrity. And now you're looking at 40, 50, 60. And I mean, you know, you have like Sly Stallone at like 500. Wow. But I mean, 
I think even Hallison Hannigan this year was ninety dollars, and I'm like, yeah. who do you think is? You think these are all How I Met Your Mother fans or something? Like, you're gonna get a million Willow pictures. Nobody, you know, it's it's. I I think there's a ludicrous nature in people going, okay, I want seventy five dollars for for an autograph. I mean, to me, that's just way too much you're putting your 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 signature is worth money it is an investment because you sign trading cards you sign memorabilia much like a, a uh, an athlete or whatever right. but i do think that if i'm providing especially if i'm providing the item for you to sign i think that should be a different price than you paying me paying you for the eight by ten or whatever you had to produce i mean i do think things should be tiered and then for photo ops yeah i think if you're doing a photo op it's especially in costume or something like that or mm -hmm. in an ensemble, then maybe, yes, that should cost a little bit more money. Maybe if it's, um, you know, but when you're behind the table in street clothes, it should either be included with the autograph or it should be like $10 more at the most. And then some of the celebrities I've met were like, who priced that happened with Elvira? And I just had to because I'd already taken the picture and she was like yeah. 30 bucks or her handler was 30 bucks. And I'm like, well, it's a picture with Elvira. So yeah, I'm going to take it. But it's like a lot of these things, I'm just like, it's getting way too expensive even for that for me personally. Like, right. I'm feeling less of a joy. It's like, oh, God, instead of going, well, I made all these memories. I think with the photo ops, that's the better deal. Yeah. And I do think they yeah, should be able to sign those for free. Yeah, those photo ops. Yeah. I think that they should sign for free because it's like, I already paid you. And some of these were high. These were I mean, multiple people sometimes, right. but $100 for... Well, here's you know, what I think about the photo op signatures. I don't think they should charge for them because I feel like they're already charging a lot for the photo op. Mm -hmm. And you know that signature is not going to get flipped because it's you in the picture with them. Right. And that's kind of where I was leading at is, do you... And the, this is out to both of you. And of course, a general question would it be better if they had because i've seen the people stand in line and they have like five or six different things and they're willing to pay for each individual autograph but if if it was personalized you know even if you bought the little 8 by 10 that mm -hmm. is you know that they have at their table if it was cheaper if it was a personalization because that's not going to be able to get flipped very well or even you know get even close to getting a return on it, well, as here, opposed to just a, an autograph. Unfortunately, here's the big problem with that: if you go to Las Vegas or a lot of these places, they have memorabilia stores, right? Mm -hmm. And they have these elaborately framed things with oh, yeah. have pictures of like the yeah. I see them at like car shows yeah, and stuff. What ends up happening most of the time, and I think uh, it was uh, Josh Home from Queens of the Stone Age called a guy out on it not too long ago. Because he personalizes his stuff. Yeah. Is uh, what these memorabilia places do is they get the autograph and they just cut it out and then they mat it into a bigger yeah, thing, that's the poster, gotcha. and then they sell it anyway. Okay. So the personalization so means nothing. Okay. Yeah. And and that happens a lot. That's big in the, as people know, I'm pretty big trading, non sport trading card fan. Happens a lot with cut signatures. It used to yeah. be only right. people who were deceased. Now it's everybody or people who don't want to have their signature put in. Yeah. To and a set. Uh, yeah. for the most part, those memorabilia people are, I mean, I don't want to like, go too crazy but some of them are kind of classless well i have i have always heard don't buy anything from you know any autographs from those like you know framed up unless unless it's a psa dna or any of the reputable 
um, companies that do grading and authentication. And here's the problem, too, not to cut you off. Yeah, yeah. Because so many of these artists and people know you're going to get your shit graded, then they charge you extra for certain items because they know those will be worth more money. Well, yeah, of course. But that's that's also the chintziness. I mean, Victor can attest to this, too, I mean, especially. I mean, both of you can. But I've always found it funny, like... The first con I ever went to, probably like one of the fir- one of the first two, was a Comic Con. You know, a comic book convention, a small one. Mm-hmm. But I was just blown away that people would sign my stuff for free. I think Ron Lim was the first guy yeah. who signed a Silver Surfer for me, and I was like so excited because I was like, I I really I think I had money out for him. He's like, no, we mm-hmm. sign everything. And to this date, I don't think I have ever paid a comic artist ever to sign anything. No. And so with celebrities, it's kind of like for me, it's like. You know, you're getting all your appearance fees, and I know this is how you make money. So, I mean, I, you know, there's certain people where I'm like, you, you don't need, you're, you're still a viable actor or whatever. You're still doing stuff. If it's supplementary income, great. And then there's the people you know, this is all they have left. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a guy like Edwin Neal. I, I love Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my second favorite movie. I don't think Edwin Neal is doing anything besides these conventions, you know, and yeah. probably some assorted side businesses. But it's like, I got no problem giving him 20, 25 bucks because sure. it's like, he, he, I love this movie and I want to help him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, you know, but then I kind of feel bad. I remember years ago at Weekend of Horror, I saw Corey Haim and I'm like, I don't know if I want to give you money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I no, don't we, really I, we, know. I was there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if I really want to. But, uh, well, th- and and to kind of go on that, I was I was picking the brain of of one of the celebrities that was there because he seemed uh, just really authentic and and approachable and willing to talk really about anything about his career and about uh, Mad Monster and and what they've done up to this point as far as conventions go. And this was only their second convention that they've done on this scale. And he told me that. Um, they are not even well they're barely even breaking even um doing these conventions and he says it's all just for really the love of the fans and if we have the time to do it mm-hmm. you know we're yeah. doing it but like everybody else you know who's involved with it you know might be too busy or might not be available you know sometimes we'll have more people from the film that can come and you know do this but um you know it's hard to commit and plus you know they don't live in the US so this is like even an extra thing and this is probably the last time that they're going to do it yeah. Not because it's not lucrative for them. Well, I mean, obviously he said it's it's not. You know, they he said that they fly him up and they they give him the hotel room. That's pretty much it. He didn't even know how much Mad Monster was charging uh, for the photo ops. He asked me how much it cost for the photo op with them, and I was like, uh, you know, I told him, and and he's like, oh, okay, yeah, well, good for them. So I don't even know how much they get from that or anything. From yeah, that. and that's I mean that's the hard part too of writing a convention too is. You, you do have to charge. You pay for advertising. You pay for all these things. You have to pay for all these celebrities. Hope they show up. It's like a headliner canceling at a show. Sure. I mean, if somebody really big comes, you get them on point, and then they don't they cancel. And then I mean, even I remember Phoenix Comic Con years ago had Patrick Stewart and some other con offered him double. Yeah. I think he was like a quarter of a million dollars. And some other pl- convention offered him half a million wow. to be an exclusive appearance. And it's like... That's just insane to me. Like, that's just absolutely ludicrous. Well, that's what's part of what's driving the uh, push towards higher prices, too. Yeah. You know, for the most part, I I don't like it as, you know, a fan and somebody who, you know, likes to get stuff autographed, especially 
especially when we're at a point where, you know, I this happened at a con I was at last year. One, you know, there's different tiers of celebrities, and then one cha- makes their price five dollars higher, and then all the others notice he's getting it. Oh, yeah. So then everybody flips oh, yeah. their yeah. price. Yep. And then the guy I was in line for it was twenty. And then it got up to me. It's like, oh, it's twenty five. So I gave him forty, and he's like, I don't have change. And I'm like, well, you're the one who's charging twenty five, you know. Yeah. So then he pulls out his wallet, like I'm making him like change the tire of my car <laughs> to give me change from his, you know, personal money. Right? It's all your personal money, man. You know. Yeah, it's ludicrous. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to end it on that note. No, because no, for the most part, yeah, you should keep prices even. <laughs> I want to. I want to no. not have to get change. For the most part, what I do want to say is that uh, I mean that's just a bigger industry wide issue we were kind of talking about. But for the most part, I, I like Mad Monster as this an year exhibitor. Was the, was the best year. Yeah. yeah, as an exhibitor, like we doubled in sales what we did last year literally doubled Mm -hmm. yeah and uh you know the i think the photo ops we did uh which were were more much more elaborate and expensive we did more than one you know for seven people each and it i felt it was totally worth it absolutely um i did even though i didn't really get a chance to do it i thought it was cool how there's like a little restaurant bar right next to Mm -hmm. the exhibitor floor because then you could kind of keep the party going for the most part, like that's one of the things that's cool about uh, the Monster Palooza Burbank location. When it's over, a lot of people just go outside and drink and hang out at the hotel bar. So keeping that vibe going is kind of cool. And I like that. Or you party at Del Taco, depending on how much money you have. <laughs> right. Um, and then for the most part, I think uh, I think that I liked the the setup of the sales floor. And it just it overall has a good vibe, you know. I hope hopefully they did well enough that we'll get it again next year. Yeah, I can only hope, you know, because none of that stuff is ever guaranteed, right? You know. Well, yeah, they didn't have a screening room this year either. Yeah, and hopefully in some capacity they can have. Well, a, their panels this they could year. Do that again. They had way less panels last year. This year the panels were. Yeah, it was like panels back, 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 were back, back. awesome. All of them. I just want to say that. That's actually what I've been enjoying a lot at cons, especially ones people I've never seen. Now, a few of them I went to see were repeats. I've seen the whole Fright Night panel, so seeing Chris Sarant and a Child's Play panel. So it was a little different. But I want to say that all the panels were great. I agree on the sound and the lighting. They had some, they blinded a few people. But other than that. Yeah, you know, like without saying any, I'll say the AV issues in the panel on Main Room were pretty bad yeah but I, I bet you that's do, most of the yeah. time that's the hotel because the hotel usually well had, i think they had some volunteers doing, doing it. it probably the volunteers just okay. didn't know what they were doing that could be too but um you know very smooth this year i will say just overall i want to say that a lot easier i will never forget the line the first friday night on at the sheridan was like just an, an absolute oh, yeah. nightmare yeah, that was and miserable. then the the year at scottsdale it was still long I, I was in line for less than 30 seconds, and yeah. I was there when door opened, maybe. so, And I bought my tickets online. I even have the, the Q the code, red or whatever. Like It was just easy. So. Yeah, and, I, and the last thing I'll say, too, is just like the way... You know, the guest list for this show is way more loaded way than Phoenix Cons could remotely dream of being. Right. And everyone was just so much more accessible than they would be at that kind of a show. And it's yeah. kind of sad that people, like, 
you know that they'll get way more people just on the basis of the, that name when this is and i there, think it'll be a better show yeah, overall and there wasn't really anybody that uh seemed real grumpy or just kind of plaza about being there and uh, maybe the exception maybe of one or two people but out of the ratio uh, against that it i we had so much fun yeah Especially compared to Comic-Con, that'll be my last comment. I just want to say I only had to, to walk over two kids playing 3DS in the hall <laughs> as opposed to two fucking thousand. Right. So I'm much appreciated on yeah. that end. Yeah. You know, I I just, I really think there's a, a, a home for this kind of more adult-geared convention than the, you know, anime weeaboo type one. So uh, hopefully they come back. And that's Definitely. That. Wrap it up. Wrap, Wrap it up. Well, thanks again for listening to Cult Following. You know, this is our 36th episode, getting ever closer to the big 5 If you guys, <laughs> if you guys are here in town, I, I suppose it's a yeah. We're almost over the hill. Yeah, Soon. getting there. If you guys are in town this Saturday, May 21st, check us out. We will be screening the Silence of the Lambs at Pollock Tempe Cinemas. Shows at 9:30. Tickets are available on CultClassicsAZ.com and at All Valley. Z record locations. Oh, and um, the shirt for that looks awesome. Oh yeah, I think get, it's my new favorite. Yeah, even oh, for we're have our pin. Perk. No, but we'll have that at future shows. Yeah, I'm not letting that go. But uh, also, uh, if you join us on May 27th at the Grid for Jump Cut, we will have Alex Cox's Repo Man. Tickets for that are only seven dollars. Also, coclassicsaz.com, and we will be at the Phoenix Comic Con uh, the week, the first weekend of June. As always, we'll have lots of stuff going on. Feel free to stop by. We'll have our annual uh, live cult following taping, which I think will probably be our next taping, actually, right? I think you're right. Yeah, that'll be our next one, episode 37, and we'll be talking about slasher films. So uh, if you go to our Facebook, the event info is there. It'll be up on our website this week, too. So until next time, folks, stay dry, doing after midnight, and be a mogwai. Oh, and I'm Anne Murkowski, meow, and that's Kirby Nelson. <laughs> no, actually, I was going to do the line from uh, Blood Rage. It isn't cranberry sauce. Because the <laughs> film, I forgot to say that the film takes place during Thanksgiving, and no joke, the tagline is at least in the film at least five times. It isn't cranberry 